Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's hear together from God's Word. Um, This morning I'm going to be reading from the book of Acts. Over these past Sundays we've been following the story of the book of Acts. And so this morning we're going to read from Acts chapter 6 and reading the first seven verses. Acts chapter 6 and reading from the the first seven verses. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread, the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Amen. And this is the word of the Lord. One of the things that was notable, noticeable at the beginning of the whole crisis to do with COVID-19 was the way in which our political leaders, on the whole, rallied together. Both the government in Edinburgh and the folks down in London and indeed in other parts of the United Kingdom worked together and generally spoke with a, a common voice. And that now is not so obvious, is it? And, and we can see that already there is the, the politicising of things and the making of comments and, and the various things that show, that of course, that amongst those who lead us there are differences and, and different agendas perhaps emerging. And also, um, it, one of the things that we noticed at the beginning was, on the whole, from the media, a, a general acceptance and support of those who led us, both again in Edinburgh and in London. However, that certainly is not the case. Indeed, the the support and the the general consensus amongst the commentators of our leaders, that very quickly broke down. I have to say that not long after things began to really take off, I stopped watching things like Newsnight on television and, and became very selective in things that I read and reflected upon just because of the very negative tone that very quickly emerged from some commentators about what our leaders were doing and not doing, what they should be doing or they shouldn't be doing. Uh, I have to confess here that I did wonder if perhaps some of these commentators, um, usually living in very nice areas, leafy suburbs or country, well removed from the the cut and thrust of the front line of the NHS or indeed in the public services generally, whether these commentators who were very quick to point the finger, to criticise, to show up problems uh, and, and then to stand back aloof from, whether some of these commentators perhaps shouldn't have offered themselves to be um, guinea pigs for the trial or trying out of some of the vaccines and the various medications that are being prescribed for COVID. They could perhaps have done something for the public good by offering themselves rather than simply standing in the sidelines and pointing the finger. Of course, they didn't offer to do that. It's very easy to point the finger and to criticise, especially if you're well removed from the front line of the battle. And that's always been the case. 
always been the case. The passage we read from the book of Acts tells us that in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. As we've read the book of Acts, look very carefully in a very um, medical, diagnostic way, opens up the story, and his opening phrases in these various sections are all there for a purpose. Luke is, after all, the medical doctor, but also the historian. He's looking at, looking at things with a, a critical eye. When I use the word critical, I don't mean a complaining eye. I don't mean in the way that, for instance, many people, as I said earlier, look upon things now, looking for the opportunity to point the finger. He's rather in an analytical, logical sense, but also from a spiritual sense, seeking to open up and to describe and to explain all that was happening. So that, as his introduction to his gospel and to the book of Acts tells us, so that his hearers might hear and believe. In those days, these are vital days. These are days of the acts of the Holy Spirit. These are days of growth. These are days when the disciples are becoming the apostles or are the apostles and discovering what that means to be the workers who are fulfilling the ministry of Jesus and their miraculous acts are testament to the fact that they're owned by Jesus, who is no longer there in person, but now they're present by the Holy Spirit, that as, as workers, co-workers of Christ, they're displaying that gospel anointing and that gospel power. Another proclamation of who Jesus is, crucified and risen, the only means of salvation, no other name under heaven by which they are saved. All of that has been worked out in these critical days, laying the foundation not only for their ministry, but the foundation of the church's ministry over these past 2,000 years. So those days are critical. That's why the reading of the book of Acts is so important. And we're reading that there is growth. The number of disciples is increasing. And indeed, this little section is sandwiched. The beginning and the end, we read of growth. God's at work. The kingdom is expanding. People are believing in Jesus Christ, including a large number of priests, we're told at the end. There is a great work of the Spirit. But as hopefully we're also noticing as we're reading through the book of Acts, there's always that two sides to the coin. Um, there is growth here, there is encouragement, but there's also increasing problems within the church. Ah, problems in the church? Does that ever happen? Of course it does. Wherever human beings are involved, there's going to be problems. And there's going to be that temptation to point the finger and to criticise and to stand in judgment and to stand apart and say, well, look at what they are doing or not doing, what they're saying or not saying. And that is the case here. And the division is very real. Notice that Luke tells us there's a division between the Hellenistic Jews and Hebraic Jews. This is a deep-rooted cultural division. The Hellenistic Jews were Greek-speaking Jews. They would largely have been drawn from those who had settled in Israel, in the land of Israel, in Jerusalem, at the time of Alexander the Great, the great Greek empire and ruler of, of a vast area, which was only to be eclipsed by the Roman Empire um, a century or so later. And these Greek-speaking Jews, converts to Judaism, are Jews who had lived in other parts of the Roman Greek Empire and had resettled in, in Israel, in Jerusalem, they looked on the whole down their noses a bit 
at the Hebraic Jews. Here were the people who had been left behind in a sense. Here were the people who spoke a, a form of Aramaic, the same language that Jesus would have spoken in the gospel, a form of Hebrews, Hebrew. And, and, and the Greek Jews tended on the whole to be more educated, tended on the whole to be wealthier, tended on the whole to be, to be um, more, more aware of the wider culture of the empire and the wider culture of the world. And they tended, generally speaking, to look down their noses at the Hebraic Jews. The Hebraic Jews, on the other hand, of course, thought they were the bees and ease. They were the ones who had kept faith. They were the ones who had lived in the land of promise, who had not been tempted to move away and had stood through all the various times of testing that in the past had happened and befallen Israel. And so they had a certain degree of arrogance. You see that in the Pharisees, who were generally drawn, not exclusively so, but generally drawn from the Hebraic side of the, of the community. They were the true upholders of Israel, of Judaism, of faith in God. And so even before you know the gospel appeared, there were these cultural and racial differences. And my friends, there's no point denying that that is the case in our world. We may be one humanity, but we're very varied in our culture, in our racial background, in our understanding of the world, in our education, in our financial position, in a whole host of things. These divisions do exist, and trying to ignore them or to airbrush them out of history or indeed of the present times, well, is nonsense. But those divisions were also in the church. The particular issue was widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. Interesting enough, the division wasn't over some point of doctrine. It wasn't over the uniqueness of Christ or the fact that he was the fulfillment of the promises given to the prophets. Um, or anything to do with the importance of repentance and having faith in him and the very radical gospel claims that were causing a stir amongst the Jewish community in the wider sense. No, within the fellowship of the church, it was, well, as some of you will know me who from my own congregation, it was over teaspoons, in this case, over the distribution of food to widows. Not, it's not that it didn't matter, these people, these widows, um, this Christian community that had been founded, there was a practical ministry there. We've already read about that and seen about that. Indeed, the whole issue of people selling their possessions. We read back in, in Acts chapter 4 that the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. And while the great, with great power, the apostles continued to testify to the grace of the Lord Jesus. And we read that God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all, so that there was no needy person among them. And from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. As I mentioned, when we looked at these verses, in many ways there was a commune being formed, a community, a radical community that not only radically believed in what God had done in Jesus Christ, but allowed that radical truth to impact in how they viewed others and how they related to others, how they provided for others, how they cared for others. This body of Jesus was being displayed in the culture and environment in which it existed. And it was very much, very different from that culture and society, where very much dog eat dog, and, and those who had, had, and those who didn't have, didn't have. This was not the body of Jesus. It was radically different, but there were problems. The distribution of the food wasn't being equally done. Why that was the case, we're not told. Did the Hebraic Jews keep it for themselves and kind of look down their noses at the Hellenistic Jews as not being real Jewish believers, even though Christ was at the heart? These 
old ways of thinking, these old parts of our nature were still apparent, or were the Hellenistic Jews actually just causing a stir? We don't know, but there was a problem. And you know, my friends, it's good for us to read of that. Indeed, there could be a statement made that when there's no problems in the church, there's a very big problem. Because you see, whenever there are problems in the church, they're usually associated with what is going on in the bigger story. There's growth here. There's change here. The church is moving on. But right alongside that, there's two two sides to the one coin. While there's growth, there's also the challenge of dealing with that. And as I say, if everything's hunky-dory, certainly for a long period of time, and everything seems to be right, sometimes that's not a good sign. That's actually a sign that actually not very much is happening generally. There's little spiritual growth. There's little spiritual challenge. There's little spiritual stirring up. People have become complacent, comfortable, self-centered perhaps, and self-secure. And, and, and the church has become just simply a bit of a club where like-minded people spend time together doing like-minded things. And that's not the church of Jesus Christ. The church of Jesus Christ draws people from all kinds of background across the divisions. Look at what Paul had to say, writing to a church in Galatia, churches in Galatia, which were divided over many of the issues I've already touched upon. Look at what Paul says, Galatians 3 and verse 26. So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you were baptized into Christ and have been clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. For all of you belong to Christ. Notice what he's saying, writing to a church where there were very real differences between slave and free, between Jew and Gentile, between male and female, and the roles within society. The gospel breaks down their roles. That's a very radical thing. That's the thing that causes a stir. That that calls into question many of our preconceptions of who we are and how we regard other people. All of that is laid on the table under the scrutiny of the Spirit and needs to be changed by the power of the gospel. And so here there are challenges and there are divisions. And that isn't necessarily a bad thing in that that's a sign that God's at work and that very different people from different backgrounds with different ways of seeing things are being brought together and being brought into the body of Christ. And so there is a problem, but it's a problem of church growth and of the Spirit of God at work. But that problem did need to be dealt with because obviously there was muttering, obviously there was complaining, Obviously, there was, there was concerns being raised. And so we read that the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait in tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. During the past crisis, we rightly have spent time, and indeed there was a period where on a Thursday evening people, if they wished, could, in a public sense, um, pay credit to the workers in the NHS, both the frontline workers, the doctors and nurses and ancillary staff, but also those who worked behind the scenes in order to support the NHS. And it was right to do that. But it was also right in a sense that that ended, or certainly as it ended, there was great emphasis laid on others. I'm very conscious. I've been very fortunate. I've had no need of the NHS personally. I've kept in good health and have no cause to go to the doctors or the hospitals. But I can assure you, I and most of us listening to this um, 
sermon on, on YouTube or, or, or on Zoom, um, we wouldn't have known there was a problem if, for instance, those who provided the public utilities, if those who ensured that we had electricity and gas or water to our homes, if they had gone on strike or they hadn't been doing their job while so many others weren't furloughed, we would soon have noticed that. Those who collected our rubbish, the dustbin workers, those who served in shops, those who kept our streets clean, so many other people who weren't necessarily so obviously on the front line at the time, when the crisis particularly was bad, way back March and April and into May, the NHS workers, nonetheless these other people were equally critical. And indeed if they had not been able to carry out their job, then far more people would have soon suffered as a consequence. And so rightly we need to recognise that everybody had a role to play in ensuring that our country carried on and the population was kept safe. So here in the church, there's the apostles, very obviously people who led the church, who were engaged in a ministry of prayer and of the word. And it would appear that they also, along as well as doing that ministry, had also been overseeing and been responsible for the daily distribution of food. And as the church grew and as things expanded, then it became, again, obviously the case that they would not be able to spend all their time worrying about where the food parcels were going um, while the, when they were busy in preaching and in teaching and in discipling these new converts and also defending the church before the rulers of the, of, of the state and indeed of the Jewish authorities. They had other things to get on with. And so it was only right that other people were given the opportunity to exercise a ministry, one which might not appear to be so obvious, but which was behind the scenes vital to the well-being and the health of the church community. And so they were to choose seven men. Interesting enough, in the Greek, the word that's used for the ministry of the word of God is also the same word that's used for the ministry of waiting on tables, diakonia. That's the word that we get deacon from. Um, it's a Greek word that's applied to both, both these things, the preaching of the word and the proclamation of the gospel, but also the waiting of tables in the sense, the practical ministry of care and support and hospitality and everything else. These were equal ministries. And we need to remind ourselves of that. I, as a preacher, need to remind ourselves of that. But we all need to remind ourselves that there are different gifts. Paul, again, writing to the church in Corinth, speaks about how there's one body but many gifts, how the one spirit brings us together with these gifts, some spiritual, supernatural gifts, others human gifts that are spiritually anointed and used. But nonetheless, together, that one body has different parts. Some parts are more noticeable than others and are more obvious to others, but all the parts of the human body are vital for our health and well-being, so all the parts of the body of Jesus, spiritually, the different gifts, the different ministries, the different opportunities for service, together reveal the body of Christ, and each have a part to play. We were reminded of that when our dear sister Irene passed on, someone who, along with others, committed themselves to a ministry of hospitality within the church. I've often said it many times and in many different situations over the year that what goes on in the hall and in terms of our own church, in terms of the practical ministry of tea and coffee and hospitality, the social functions we've had, the Advent supper or our special times of celebration where, where tasty bites have been provided or whatever, that is a vital ministry of the church. And it is an expression of the truth of the gospel and of the power of the gospel to bring different people together in community and as one. And this ministry here, the seven men, 
were to be engaged in a ministry which was to recognize the apostles. We see that because in verse 6, when the men were chosen, we read that they were presented to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. Their ministry might be to wait on tables, might be a practical ministry, but it was also spiritually owned and possessed. And you can see that in the qualifications. They were to be full of spirit and wisdom. Notice again that combination, the two sides of the one coin. Um, they were to be spiritual people, people whose hearts and minds were inhabited by the Spirit of God, who had the mind of Christ. Remember, we spent time thinking about that a few weeks back or a few months back now. This mind of Christ that enables, enables us to discern what, what God is saying and doing all round about us. He takes the Word of God and enables us to be able to apply it to the situations and issues of life and of living. So they were to be full of the Spirit, but of wisdom. They were to be sensible. They were to have common sense. They were to have gifts and talents that would enable them to carry out these jobs. No point asking me, for instance, as a preacher of the word, to suddenly become a plumber or an electrician or a joiner. I still think of those who laboured at the time of our church renovation who gave themselves to a practical ministry there. We've seen the wood panelling around our church. I've just been looking at it obviously very much in these past days as I've been in the sanctuary and think of all the time and effort that, that Jim and Jerry, both who have now passed on, Jim and Jerry did in cutting that wood at the different sizes and, and fitting it so neatly and so beautifully decorating our church. That is and was a ministry, a vital ministry that has enhanced not only the building of the church, but has allowed us to be able to use that place for the proclamation of the gospel and the extension of his kingdom and the serving of our community. So you see, it's all caught up together. But spiritual qualifications are important. That's why when we appoint managers to our congregation, those who in a sense carry out this diaconal role, that rightly we emphasize that there should be men and women who are spiritually minded. They are to take the, 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 the basis upon which we appoint our managers, our, our constitution and the requirements laid down there, make it clear that those who are called to be managers are to be spiritual men who are to apply spiritual principles to practical matters within the life of the church. And that is true in the past. That is even more true and more vital today as we face all the challenges that the future will bring to us, that we have leaders in the church with different gifts, different talents, but who are men and women who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. Practical application of that is always needed if the church is going to be healthy and grow. And we notice, of course, that the result of that was that the whole body, the congregation, how this done, we don't know, we're not told, but there seemed to be a congregational meeting of some sort, and they chose these people. Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Philip, Prochorius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Interesting enough, all these names suggest that these seven men were all from the Hellenistic side of the church. They're all Greek names. That's interesting. From a human viewpoint, you might have thought, well, we better get a wee balance here. We better have so many Hebraic Jews and so many Hellenistic Jews. And depending on what side you were on, you would want, well, we want more Hebraic ones in order that they've got a casting vote, or we want more Hellenistic ones so they've got a casting vote. You could just imagine all the politicizing that could easily go on. But where the Spirit of God is at work, and where people are looking for spiritual qualifications, not racial or cultural backgrounds to determine who should be a leader, then we can see that what's called here is actually, in many ways, quite ironic. It's the Hellenistic mystic believers, but that pleases. This, this pleases the whole group. 
and together they present these men to the apostles who pray and lay their hands on them. How vital it is we allow the Spirit of God to cause us to discern and then to encourage and then eventually to bring on board those men and women who are spiritually and practically equipped for the work to do and where they came from, what their church background is, what colour they may be, um, their educational qualifications and all the rest of it are, are, are either completely irrelevant or at best secondary to these qualifications that they're men and women who are full of faith and of the Holy Spirit and have giftings that allow them to serve the church. As we draw to a close, what's the result of that? Well, the result is practical, of course, that these matters are dealt with. It's interesting, isn't it? In other parts of the book of Acts, we read that the apostles spent much time in prayer. There's no mention of that here. Now, first of all, what we want to emphasize, that's not to say the apostles didn't pray about it. Of course it isn't. Um, that's not to say that they didn't bring wisdom. They provided a lead. They gave direction. And, and that's the calling of the spiritual leaders or leader of a church. Their job is to, in a sense, have the big picture. Their job is to be involved in the ministry of prayer and so that they're continually, in a sense, thinking about the things of God in, the, in relationship to the, the congregation or the fellowship. That's their job. That's why in our tradition, people like myself are laid aside and set aside for that ministry so we can devote ourselves to thinking about things and, and discerning things and, and having an idea of the way ahead. That's very important at the moment. And I do appreciate the prayers and support of the congregation as we've sought to do that. My job, in a sense, is to, to give the picture, to, to give some idea of the way forward and to encourage people to discern that. But, but, others' responsibility, in a sense, is to work how that what how that works out. So pray for our leaders as we meet on Tuesday evening to begin to work out how we can possibly have a service within the church and bring people in and work out where they have to sit and all these practical things that have to be done if we come to a time of having a service. All of that is the responsibility of others who, under the leading and guiding of the Spirit with the mind of Christ and practical gifts, are able to do the work God gives them to do. You see how it can all hold together and it's for the well-being and the prospering of the body of Christ. But it also, as a close, leads to growth. Look what it says in verse 7. The word of God spread. So the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. You see, if this little issue, this teaspoon issue of the food distribution to widows, could easily have blown up to a major division. You can just imagine it, you know, within Jerusalem, you know, first Hebraic apostolic church in one corner, and then down the street, first Hellenistic apostolic church, you know, down there. Very quickly, the church could have divided. And indeed, later on in the book of Acts, you can see that this issue really becomes a major issue between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers, and eventually we'll come across that issue and, and the challenge of that. Here it was vital in these early days, in these critical times, that the church remained united that the Church of Christ remained united, and that these practical issues were dealt with before they became not just simmering sores, but open ructions and ruptures. It was dealt with. The apostles gave the lead. The spiritual leaders of the church were clear as to what they were to be done. Practical decisions were made. Action was taken. The church remained united, and God honoured that by leading in spiritual growth. All that our own fellowship and fellowships up and down our land over these past months have gone through could be very critical 
for the future of the church. Indeed, there are congregations that will not survive in, within their own denomination, United Free Church. The little fellowship of Burgundy is going to close. Other fellowships are struggling. I'm working with the folks at Knightswood to see how, in their very vulnerable position, they can, at least for a season, try to move on. And even a congregation of our own, which is not that big, and which, unfortunately, this virus has brought to attention, tends to be weighted to older people and people who have got health concerns or have got responsibilities for those who have health concerns, it could have a detrimental effect. It could have, it will have, and does have a detrimental effect to the church. I'm not being negative when I say that it actually could fatally weaken our church. Maybe not immediately, not necessarily in my time in my ministry, but certainly, as we go into the 2020s, fatally weaken the church. I don't for one minute believe that's what God wants. He hasn't brought us through all that he has over these last 20 years in order now to see us fall apart or become a mausoleum, as so many churches are, with buildings that, in our case, we have spent hundreds of thousands of pounds and yet remain shut and mothballed for, for the foreseeable future. That is not God's good plan. There are real issues, we have to work them through, we need leaders who are men and women who are full of the spirit and wisdom, we need people like, yes, people like myself who have got spiritual discernment to say this is the way forward, let's go for it, let's move on, but also are willing to listen and consult so that together we can engage and move on together as the people of God. We need to do that believing that God will honour our stand, honour our willingness to be obedient, honour our desire to see his work continue within our community and that God will honour that by causing others not just to come to our building, that's almost neither here nor there, but more importantly to believe and become obedient to the faith. Jesus Christ who said he would build his church and not even the gates of hell would prevail against it. He is the one that we all serve. It is his gospel that we all proclaim in word and in deed, and it's for his glory that we press on into the future he has for us as workers, as co-workers and co-members of the body of Christ. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we do thank you for your word and for its pertinent point in these challenging days. We thank you for the example of your word. We thank you for the way it reveals to us a church which is real, where there were differences, where there were tensions, where there were potential situations that could easily have blown up and led to a major fracture within the church and a major weakening of the gospel. We thank you that the apostles and that those who were appointed to lead the church, the deacons, were men of faith, full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit. And we do pray that in these challenging days, days within our own congregation, within our denomination, and within your church at large within our nation, it would indeed be led by men and women who, like the apostles and the deacons, who, like Peter and Stephen, were men and women who loved you, who desired to see your kingdom grow, and who were open and sensitive to your Spirit's leading. Lord, we pray that for our own fellowship. We pray that for our leaders as we meet together to discern the way ahead and how we can work out the logistics, perhaps, of beginning to have services. We pray for those who are involved practically in ensuring that we have the internet access brought into our church and we have the equipment that we will need to be able to serve all our church community, not just those who are physically able to get to a building. We pray for your 
your leading, your hand of guidance, and your blessing upon all the practical things we have to do, so that together with one heart and one voice we may continue to proclaim the one who is alone, the way, the truth, and the life, even Jesus Christ, your Son and our only Saviour, in whose name we pray and in whose name we serve. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.